When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Financial Exchange is produced by Money Matters Radio and is hosted by employees of the Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor that provides investment advisory services. All opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, do not reflect the opinions of Armstrong Advisory or anyone else, and do not guarantee profit. Investments can lose money. This program does not offer any specific financial or investment advice. Please consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong and Money Matters Radio do not compensate each other for referrals and are not affiliated. This is the Financial Exchange with Mike Armstrong and Mark Vandetti. Your exclusive look at business and financial news affecting your day, your city, your world. Stay informed and up-to-date about economic and market trends, plus breaking business news every day. The Financial Exchange is a proud partner of the Disabled American Veterans Department of Massachusetts. Help us support our great American heroes by visiting DAV5K.Boston and making a donation today. The DAV 5K Boston is presented by Veterans Development Corporation. This is the Financial Exchange with Mike Armstrong and Mark Vandetti. Mark, it's 10.06 in the morning. Do you know where Fed Chair, uh, excuse me, where Fed President John Williams is? Uh, if, I asked, if I did, that would be weird. I ask this because there's some 20-odd Fed speeches this week. Not, even, not a single one of them are as important as the data we got this morning at 8.30 a.m. But I noticed in particular that according to MarketWatch, New York Fed President John Williams was speaking today at 3 a.m. Who's he talking to? <laughs> where, where are you at 3 a.m.? John Williams. I hope it's not in New York because I don't think you would have much of an attendance. I also Googled it and... Yeah, I, I have no idea who exactly he's addressing. Uh, you also had Fed Vice Chair Philip Jefferson speaking at 5.30 a.m. this morning. So maybe they're doing a European tour or something along those lines. I'm not sure. But it sure. would be later, wouldn't it be? So three. So they, oh, so they're, they're, they're in oh, Europe. You're right. It would be later. So, uh, yeah. I you know. think, yeah, if they, no, excuse me. If they were in Europe, that yeah, would make sense, that would make right? Sense. That, that's, yeah. that's, what yeah. that's what you said. Excuse me. Excuse me. No idea, but in any case, uh, what we received this morning at 8.30 was an update on inflation. Uh, We have a number of different ways of measuring inflation. In fact, the CPI tool that we use was just rejiggered on the uh, health insurance inflation side of things. But what we got this morning at 8.30 was CPI, and we got to look at, uh, you know, the real... In spite of the fact that the Federal Reserve uses a different inflation measure, this is the one that <clears throat> tends to move markets because it comes before all the others. It gives you a pretty early look into what price changes uh, looked like in the month of October and when you aggregate them all, how it all worked out. So what did we see uh, from a headline level in terms of inflation? Well, the big news was that when you compare October to September – Prices in the aggregate didn't move at all. They were flat month over month at 0.0% increase. Whole bunch of other stuff to get into as well, but 
I think just starting right there is a pretty important level there where prices on a month-over-month basis did not move at all uh, on the headline inflation number, Mark. Yeah, they were dragged down, and this is this is a good development. So to put it in perspective, we know inflation has come down a lot. The average price increase in the things that we buy, and we can talk about core versus headline, core resulting from stripping out certain especially jumpy components, but overall prices have become more subdued on average over the past year. We're looking at, I'm going to round down a little bit and say looking at about three point, uh, looking at about 3% year-over-year inflation, which sure. is a huge improvement of uh, relative to the 9% year-over-year inflation we were experiencing about 18 months ago. What helped last month, although we don't like to fixate too much on any one month, uh, but energy prices helped. As everybody knows, gas prices fell. They fell 5%, and gas prices are nearly 4% of the CPI. Uh, food prices, on the other hand, and we all know this from our experience, uh, they continued at about the same clip month over uh, month uh, in October as they have over the previous, say, several months. So it was mainly an energy price story, Mike, but other categories were subdued or remained moderate as, as well. So uh, I'm someone who tends to look for bad news in these reports because I'm paranoid by nature and hard to find any in this particular release. There are other pockets of uh, not so encouraging news for the long-term battle against inflation, but this might be worth celebrating in the moment. Yeah, I, I, I was doing the same, looking for areas of bad news. So I, I think uh, just a reset on where we've come over the last year or two is, is important here. So uh, during most of the you know 2010s decade, if you take a look at a chart there, while volatile, you had year-over-year inflation that was anywhere in the, you know, taking a look at this chart here, as low as you actually saw a little bit of deflation in 2015, but, you know, 1 to 3% was pretty normal. Most of it was between 1.5 and 2.5% if you look at that 2010 decade on a year-over-year basis. Uh, if you hone in on, obviously, the post-pandemic, the 2020s, you had inflation peaking on a year-over-year basis in June of 2022. That is when CPI year-over-year hit almost 9%, 8.9% year-over-year basis in June of 2022. What we saw in this most recent report, that year-over-year basis, if you just don't adjust anything, you saw inflation year-over-year sitting at 3.2%. Perhaps that is still higher than where the Fed wants to be, but a far cry from where we were seeing summer of last year in terms of the massive price increases that we were experiencing. Furthermore, what I think is also useful, you know, we talk about the year-over-year stuff, but a year ago is pretty far away now. I also take, like to take a look at, you know, what the month-over-month changes are looking like and maybe take a few of them. And you did see a bit of a spike in headline inflation when you looked at August and September of this year. So the the August read on inflation headline was 0.6%, even core was 0.3%. So yeah, August had a bunch of uh, energy price increases, but even then, when you stripped them out, you were still seeing inflation on the core level running a little bit too high. So when we take a look at year-over-year headline inflation, I just mentioned it was at 3.2%. If I take a look at a three-month average, it was 4%. So if I annualize the three-month average, which was 0.6, 0.4, and 0, you still get to a 4% average over that three-month time period. If I take a look at a six-month average, you get to 3%. Which one of these is right? Like, which one of these is telling you the trend? I, I'm not sure, but if I'm this looking— This is where you have to resort to the state of the—this is where you have to put a traditional economic lens on it. Yeah. And a lot of commentators miss this. I'm not saying it's the best framework, but it's the— 
best framework that economists have to examine these matters. To get at the trend in inflation, we know it's a function of a few different things. Expected inflation, which is not, by the way, under control. We can come back to expected inflation, at least by some measures. And then by economic slack or measures of how much the economy is producing relative yeah. to its potential. Some people look at unemployment for that component sure. of underlying inflation. Some people look at gross domestic product, GDP, relative to potential GDP. Those are the two big drivers of trend inflation. In the short term, you can have supply shocks as well, like when oil goes up or when some favorable event pushes, say, medical insurance costs down. But those are truly transitory, uh, to use a much maligned now term. And if you look at those things, expected inflation, the Michigan survey, most recent read was over 4%, Mike. That's the one year out expected change in prices, according to the Michigan S Survey of Consumers. In terms of the economy's level of production relative to its potential, it's, it's running hot. Unemployment is arguably unnaturally low. Output was arguably unnaturally high last yep. quarter. So the economy is pushing up against its speed limit, if not exceeding it. And that puts upward pressure on prices. I have a few criticisms of the sentiment survey right now, the, specifically the Michigan sentiment survey right now. I, I'm sure you've looked at the data as I have. But for really since 2020, it's been reporting numbers in some cases that are worse than any time during the Great Recession. And so I'm not saying oh, that you're it's talking not, about their optimism, pessimism, yeah, survey. their sentiment survey, not okay. their inflation expectation yeah. survey. I know they're different. But when I think about how what they have in common there is people's views on the economy recently have been extremely pessimistic, but it has not lined up with their actions. But that doesn't matter for the for the inflation survey. And there are other measures of expected inflation too, other survey based as opposed to mm -hmm. like financial market measures like the real yield on bonds. We can get into those maybe at some point, but right now talking about consumer surveys, they've actually been a pretty decent predictor of future inflation. And that makes sense because if people think inflation goes up, they'll ask if you're a business, you'll ask for higher, Yep. you'll put your prices up. If you're an individual, you'll ask for a greater wage increase. So that is an important uh, driver, obviously, of, of inflation. And again, if inflation through that fundamental lens is arguably not on a constructive trajectory, i.e. the economy's running hot and inflation expectations are still high. It's useful to, to step back yep. from the exuberance of a good report like this and the market's going crazy. The 10-year Treasury yield has come down by a fifth of a percentage point. Stocks are up a percent and a half and, and going still uh, this morning. So the market's overreacting as it typically does to something like this. It's useful to keep a fundamental perspective in mind. Um, so... I'll just, you know, a couple of headline here pieces here. I do like to get into the weeds on inflation a little bit. Uh, one of the big drags on inflation continues to be energy prices in the month of October. So gasoline was down about 5%. Uh, another, you know, drag that has been pretty consistent over the last four or five months has been used cars and trucks. That's been a problem in previous years in terms of high inflation. It has been dragging things down more recently. Overall, as Mark alluded to, there is very little to dislike in this report. I, I really have to go and dig and try and find something that could insinuate that this is a bad report. I, I think the only real evidence I have is that, hey, August and September were a little bit hotter than anybody expected, and October has now offset that. If for whatever reason the data in October was just bad or bogus or not anything other than a blip in the radar, then, hey, the trend line doesn't look great. But if I yeah. strip out all the energy stuff for a minute and just talk about core. It's what the Fed really cares about ultimately. They care about both, but they really look at that as a better guideline for what's going forward. Year over year, core prices were up 
if I look at the three-month or the six-month average, you're looking at 3.2% annualized. That is, there's no way to read that other than a trend in the right direction. Still too hot? Yes, arguably very much so. But I read that, I think the only way to read it, and absent of knowing what November and December look like, is good trending in the right direction. Yeah, the, the, the trend is encouraging. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to put this in more context because inflation is not the only economic indicator we're worried about. We're talking about the labor market. We're talking about the stock market, uh, what's going on in markets today. We'll be right back with that and more next on The Financial Exchange. The Financial Exchange is now available on your Alexa smart speaker. Ask to play The Financial Exchange and catch up on anything you might have missed. This is The Financial Exchange Radio Network. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The latest news on inflation and how the markets are reacting every morning, right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. All of us at the Financial Exchange are truly thankful for being part of this year's DAV 5K, which took place last Saturday. The event was a massive success, and credit to all of you who registered. If you weren't able to attend but would still like to make a donation, Visit DAV5K.Boston for all the information. That's DAV5K.Boston. The DAV5K Boston was presented by Veterans Development Corporation. Uh, as Mark mentioned at the end of the last segment, markets are wildly surging today. The Dow's up over f- nearly 500 points now, 1.4%. S&P up 78, one and three quarters of a percent. And the NASDAQ up over 2%. Small caps up over 4%. The Russell 2000, that is. Uh, yield on the 10-year bond down below 4.5% after peaking up over 5% recently. And Mark's absolutely correct. This could all be way overblown. We don't know. We don't know where the next sets of data are going to be. If this is the well, only look good Look at our news. next two stories. Sorry, Mike, but... Look at our next two. You're you are just an eternal pessimist. Well, you, you, you've got to be skeptical. Stocks are up 16 17% this year and counting. By yeah. the time I finish this sentence, it'll probably be 18 And earnings have been flat for two years in a row. So looking at that big picture here, I, I think that sets up the point pretty well, which is I know a lot of people still have concerns about inflation spiking back again. We can go look at these sentiment, or not the sentiment surveys, but the inflation expectation surveys show pretty clearly. You're right. A it lot was of part of the sentiment are, survey. You're you're right. There are a lot of people that are still worried about inflation peaking again in 2024. I'm here to say I don't think that's our most likely problem. I I, I think. Oh, what a relief! In, in the absence of uh, oh, Mark doesn't Mark doesn't like my opinion on this, but in, in the absence <laughs> of what do I know? a you know further escalation in the Middle East. Quite honestly, I am putting recession risks and slowdown risks as a much higher concern for me personally than inflation spiking again. Now, who the heck knows, right? There could be any number of things that cause this thing to accelerate again, but I don't see any new stimulus packages coming up. I don't see any giant tax cuts that would stimulate the economy coming. Um, earnings have been slowing or flat, as Mark okay, points out. Okay, so now you're making an economic growth prediction and an inflation prediction yeah. in one sentence. Yes. Oh, okay. What else are we supposed I to do here, Mark? Get a right to it's their a radio opinion. show, Mark. We've got to make predictions. 
if you want to just sit here and say, I have no idea what's going to happen next. I have no idea, folks, what's going to happen next. How's that for Radio Truth? Fine. And neither does anybody else. Fine. That said, I find your scenario like I do with Chuck's scenarios. I always start out skeptical when when you or Chuck start to talk about something, but I'll buy into what you describe as eminently reasonable and plausible. It's probably not going to happen. Even if it did, I would give you no credit because you're pulling it out of thin air. True. Nor should you give any economic forecaster absent some really proven model credit. Everybody else does. Luck. We can't. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. We're different here. Okay, let's just go on. We're more, we're more thoughtful. Uh, I disagree. Uh, so, really? Yeah. Uh, so it, so it, if, I, if you flipped a coin, if I predicted every flip of your coin for the next however many times you wanted to flip it, would you ascribe prophetic ability to me or would you say you got lucky, dude? You'd say you got I'd lucky. say you got lucky. Yeah. If I said Celtics are going to win 49 games this season, and they did, do I have some uncannily accurate mental model? No, of course not. I got lucky. No, but you have knowledge that the team is good. But if I but if I and made a pinpoint a specific prediction, it's it's luck. You you're right. Directionally, yeah, there luck. could be something. But to Mark, it. if I'm telling if if yeah, likewise luck. in some domains, gentlemen. But Mark, if I likewise tell you off. that I think that GDP growth next year is going to be three and a half percent, and that inflation is going to be two and a half percent, then. I would say that's akin to saying that the Celtics are going to win 49 games. I agree. What I'm saying is that probability-wise, I am putting a higher likelihood on either a recession. I'm putting a higher likelihood on recession than I am inflation up over 4% next year. I think that's far different from saying that the Celtics are going to win 49 games or that it's going to be head and tails 10 Mm, times in a row. It's not as different as you think because there are... Too many factors that could influence the former prediction, the GDP inflation prediction, to make it plausible that you could replicate the problem. Look, in some domains, here's what I'm getting at. Listen to your weatherman. Their models are proven. They're based on physics. They obey certain laws. We all know that more than a few days out, forecasts become increasingly unreliable, which is why they say 50% chance of, which means 50% of the time in scenarios like this, this result materializes. Economic forecasting, stock market forecasting are totally different. You're just as well off flipping a coin as you are taking the word or accepting the predictions of any expert. And even when they're right, it's more likely due to luck than skill. It's just that uncertain a proposition. Now, we can have fun with it. And I agree with you, Mike. I'm not inflation. Only a fool this morning would say, oh, no, inflation jumping back up. That's the main risk facing the economy right now. I agree with you. But we don't know how GDP is going to unfold over the next year. And as a consequence, you can't know how inflation is going to unfold if you think underlying inflation is a function of economic output relative to potential. If you don't know the former, you can't make an informed guess about the latter. You know what I mean? No. No. I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't either. I, I think this is an interesting <laughs> conversation because I find it quite fascinating. But to my, to, to my earlier point, if I, had to, if I had the binary choice and I had to put money on either the economy shrinking next year or inflation spiking above the current 12-month average? If I were forced to make a bet on one versus the other... Why, why couldn't it be both? You're just... This just because, in you're this just scenario, for, because you are forced to bet on uh, one versus well, the other. I, then I reject the premise. I would, I would absolutely choose on the economy shrinking next year. I would too, but I'd also say take it with a mountain of salt. I'm probably yeah, going to be wrong. Course. We could have both. Of, oh, I'm of, sorry. Of Am course. I being too literal? Yeah, I, 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 I think that there is a point to which you say yes these things are inherently unpredictable and are impacted by a 
litany of other factors. Yeah. But to just sit here and ignore the data and say and throw your you hands in the, the air data. and I'm say, not ignoring the data. I'm commenting on we're commenting on known facts, which is inflation has come down. Fact. It is a good thing. Fact. Do we know the future path? Absolutely not. Put yourself at any point in the early 1970s, blind yourself to the future, deprive yourself of future data, and your predictions will have been wrong unless you knew the context. It's a fun game to play. Take economic data, jumble it up, and then guess the next 12 months. You get it wrong every time. Yeah, but you it's could, a humbling you could apply that to anything in life, Mark. No, it's not. We that, don't know that's, the path That's not true. There are some, there are, there are no, to quote Rummy, Donald Rumsfeld, there are known knowns, there are known risk distributions, and I can make fairly accurate statements about future outcomes when you know the probability distribution that governs them. In this domain, in this particular area, you don't. These, there are unknown unknowns that will affect the future trajectory of something. Let's take a quick break. Wall Street Watch is next. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at TFE Show. Breaking business news is always first right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Time now for Wall Street Watch. A complete look at what's moving markets so far today, right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Markets are rallying in significant fashion on the heels of encouraging inflation data from the October Consumer Price Index released earlier this morning, which showed inflation was flat from the prior month. At the moment, Dow up by 1.5%. Or 519 points, S&P 500 up nearly 2% or 87 points. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq surging 2 and a third percent or 319 points. Russell 2000 up now nearly 4%. That's right, nearly 4%. 10-year Treasury yield down by 17 basis points at 4.45%. And crude oil up 1.5%, trading at $79.45 a barrel. Home Depot shares are currently popping 6% after the home improvement retail giant posted better-than-expected third-quarter earnings and revenue, while its sales pulled back 3% from a year ago. Mike and Mark will have more on Home Depot earnings in a matter of moments. Uh, more retailer earnings are on deck tomorrow, where Target and TJX will report, followed by Walmart on Thursday morning. Meanwhile, electric vehicle startup company Fisker missed third-quarter earnings estimates in addition to light vehicle deliveries. Fisker did note, however, that the pace of vehicle deliveries accelerated near the end of the quarter. However, that stock down by 21%. Kraft Heinz shares are up by 1% after Bernstein upgraded the food and beverage company to outperform from market perform, noting its cheap valuation and also saying the company is better positioned compared to its food peers in an anti-obesity drug backdrop given its protein-forward portfolio. And Take-Two Interactive shares up 3%. 
after the video game maker received an upgrade from Deutsche Bank to buy from hold, while also upping its price target by $20, saying the company's risk-reward profile has become more favorable given its robust development pipeline through fiscal years 2025 and 2026. I'm Tucker Silva, and that's Wall Street Watch. Mark, America's favorite home improvement company, Home Depot, uh, shares are up 6.6% this year. I assume this is because they had a blowout quarter. Sales are through the roof. They're cutting expenses and uh, selling lumber made of gold or something along those lines. What uh, what did we actually hear from Home Depot when it came to their earnings? Well, what, what struck me, uh, sorry, I don't have the earnings on the tip of my tongue, but what struck me is what's... Uh, what their outlook is for the future, which is they moderated, uh, i.e. lowered their forward guidance. They expect sales to be lower and profits to be lower uh, in the quarter and quarters ahead. Uh, stock today is rallying. Naturally, stock's up 6%. So this Today's market reaction makes less sense to me, I think, than any that I've seen in a while. I get the inflation exuberant. And, well, you know what? I'm sorry. We're, I don't want to go back to CPI again, though that's the uh, narrative propelling all this. Let, uh, let's earnings see. are flat over the last two years. Stocks are up 16% this year. Uh, earnings are flat this year. Stocks yep. are up 16%. That means they've gotten more expensive. That means multiples. The price to earnings multiple is expanded. So Home Depot stock is down over the last 12 months. Uh, excuse me, since the beginning of this year. Uh, and it's flat for the last 12 months. Their earnings uh, and their sales, all of which are facing a downturn this year compared to last year. So same store sales they now expect will drop between 3 to 4% this year. Uh, and earnings per share should fall between 9 to 11% compared to a year ago. Their previous forecast had been for as much as a 13% drop. So it's less bad than that had previously been reported. But to your point, and I think it's a valid one, Mark, is that deserving of a 6.5% boost to your stock price on a random Tuesday? And and I would argue, I, I guess I, I have a tough time justifying it. And this is not... This is not expressly unique to Mark's point. Earnings estimates are falling really across the board. We've talked about this year how this market has been held up by very few individual companies, the Magnificent Seven, if you want to refer to them. Uh, and yet stock prices have rallied, to Mark's point, double digits in the teens this year. What I think, if, if I'm looking at a market concern here, it's that this market is once again pricing in Goldilocks, and we don't usually get Goldilocks. Is that, I mean, do, anything else to add on that? I mean, that's my reading on this, is this market is pricing in that everything will land perfectly. How can bonds and stocks, bonds are for, stocks are for growth. You buy them when you, you would overweight them if you like, or buy more than you should typically have given your long-term goals if you were optimistic about long-term growth prospects. Sure. If we accept that proposition. Bonds are for protection and safety. Mm. It's odd when they both go up. Now, it's as they are today, bonds sure. are skyrocketing in price. That means yields are coming down. That's the mechanical way in which those two things relate to each other. Stocks are skyrocketing in price. What could that mean? Well, one explanation is lower inflation means lower interest rates. Well, why does that mean lower interest rates? Because the Fed's going to lower rates, I think is one common. I'm sorry, I'm asking and then answering yep. a question. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to approach this sort of logically with some sort of coherent framework. If you think the Fed is going to cut rates because inflation appears to be appears to have moderated, has moderated in point of fact, and you think it will moderate further down to the Fed's target, 
the Fed shouldn't need to cut rates absent some sort of economic air pocket, which would be bad for equities. So it's, it's odd to me that people, and this seems to be the consensus explanation this morning, everything's going up because the Fed can ease at some point. Yep. Well, if the Fed's easing everybody, it's because we're in economic trouble. They're not going to cut rates just because they're tired of leaving them at five and a quarter. They're going to cut rates because unemployment is rising or the economy is slowing. That's how it works. Otherwise, there's no need to cut rates. You can keep the economy on its current path. So these two things don't ease, aren't easily reconciled. Skyrocketing stocks and skyrocketing bond prices that we have today. I have a hard time reconciling those two things. I do too, and it's been the same story for the most of this year. Right, the vast majority of this year, we were scratching our heads at the exact same thing. And last is, year too, the correlation was also positive. Both fell. Right. Uh, the entire story this year has been about how the Fed is going to need to cut interest rates or how they're going to cut interest rates, and we are not going to be faced with a recession. And those are two things that are just kind of confusing because they you're right. There, there is not, absent uh, the 2019s, I think that is the only point that I can really look at. Was it 2019 when the Fed was cutting rates in the absence of a recession? It was. They were raising until 2018, tanked the stock market, everybody got scared, Powell turned Cut tail. Rates. Yeah. So, I mean, Powell granted, caved. maybe that's what we should be looking at is, hey, there is some historical context for cutting rates in the absence of a recession. And, and but in that, that situation, inflation was extremely yep. low, well below 2% their target. Correct. So, what is this all setting up for? Uh, what, are, what are we... Forget about any forecasts about the future. Let's talk Thank about you. what things look like right now. What things look like right now is that companies are not in the aggregate earning a whole lot more than they did last year, nor are they making incredibly rosy predictions about the future. Uh, the stock market, depending on which way you want to measure it, is arguably more expensive than average, but still is 16% not 16% more than last year. Earnings uh, haven't gone up. Stock prices have. You right. could, that's very straightforward math. Right. That, that's pretty easy to understand. Uh, still a far cry from where we were in terms of the total level of the stock market back at the end of 2021, uh, but on a valuations basis, pretty darn expensive. Um, in terms of inflation, the most recent data has been that it's cooling off. And in terms of job market, also the most recent data, not that we are losing jobs, but the pace at which we are creating them and the unemployment rate have been increasing. And so when I take all of that in the aggregate, what I look at is an economy that seems to have been seems to be showing signs that growth maybe has already peaked, whether it's growth in inflation, growth in the labor market. I don't know about GDP growth. I'm not really sure. That's too tough to guess at. But a, a number of these things maybe have already peaked, whether it's uh, Earnings gains, uh, sorry, I'm talking about individual people making money gains may have already peaked. Uh, inflation may have already peaked. And we are heading towards this general slowdown, I think, in some of the numbers that we're seeing. And the question that I have that I don't have the answer to is, you know, there's always the possibility that these things spike back up for some external reason. And we're dealing, in that case, dealing with higher inflation. I've said before, I don't think that's the most likely outcome. I think there's another outcome where the continued data, the data continues to deteriorate. And that means heading for a recession, possibly. And I think there's a outside chance that the data just kind of flatlines, in which case, maybe you're not having a recession or higher inflation you, still makes it for me tough to justify just equity keep market in mind, valuations. In the short term, the consensus among economists, both right and left, whether you're new Keynesian or you're a new classical, you believe in price stickiness, which means people don't, firms don't change their prices 
every day, Amazon's pricing notwithstanding. So in the short term, high demand can push up, uh, can, uh, high demand can push the economy beyond its productive limits, and that translates into wage inflation, which eventually drives price inflation. That's the general story. So keep your eye on that ball. Keep your eye on where the economy is relative to its potential. And by most indicators, even though, Mike, like you said, labor market strain is easing, unemployment is one way of measuring the state of the economy relative to its potential is the state of the labor market. Below 4% unemployment, which is where we still are, despite the fact that it's come up in the past several months, is still very, very low relative to historical episodes. It's only been there a few times in the past 60 or so years. And last quarter's GDP, which is all we've got, was a blockbuster, blow-the-doors-off-precedent-type yeah. report. We're growing at twice the—we were, in that quarter anyway, growing at twice the economy's estimated potential. So by those measures, just take them out of the— uh, cloudiness of the data that we see day to day, like today's inflation report, and you just summed it all up really well. By those measures, the economy still looks like it's running hot, and prices still look like they're running higher than the Fed would like. The thought that the Fed could ease in this environment seems a little nutty to me in light of that backdrop. Quick break here. When we come back, I want to talk about a couple of areas that have seen Pretty high inflation, specifically in the transportation area and what we're seeing heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. We'll be right back on the Financial Exchange. This is your home for the most comprehensive coverage of the economy and the trends on Wall Street. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Miss any of the show? You can catch up at your convenience by visiting FinancialExchangeShow.com and clicking the on-demand icon where you'll find all of our interviews and full shows. This is your home for the latest business and financial news in New England and around the country. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. According to AAA, 55.4 million travelers will head 50 miles or more from home over the Thanksgiving holiday travel period. I don't know when that travel period includes. Probably Tuesday through Sunday would be my guess. Uh, the worst possible travel time uh, would be on Wednesday. It'll be between 2 and 6 p.m. On Thursday, will be between 11, and th 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Uh, the best time to travel uh, on Wednesday would be before 11 a.m. and on Thursday uh, before 10 a.m. or after 5 p.m. Nonetheless, at 55.4 million, that would be a, a significant uptick from any time over the last several years. And I think uh, one of the highest numbers in the last 20 years in terms of travelers. I will personally be flying on Thanksgiving Day, spent an arm and a leg on those tickets for my family of five uh, and then coming back on a Monday morning flight. How about you two? 50 miles or less? Less. Fewer. Fewer. Yeah. Fewer. Fewer. Okay. So I'm one one in three here is, is going the distance on this Thanksgiving holiday. One of the uh I, I read this article from the New York Times and then immediately debated it in my head and then saw that they actually caveated it a little bit. But the argument is that flights have gotten a lot cheaper and 
I have to tell you, you know, my I think we ended up paying like 600 bucks a ticket round trip to get to Chicago for Thanksgiving, which I guess shouldn't be surprising, uh, but it's not something that I enjoy shelling out for. Um, the average price for a domestic flight around Thanksgiving was actually down 9% from a year ago, and flights around Christmas are looking to be down about 18% uh, year over year. Uh, we're, we are expected to hit you know, record travel this year, but nonetheless, I think what seems to be happening here is finally these airlines have ramped up in terms of their capacity, um, and you're, you're starting to see some reasonable discounts out there when it comes to flight travel these days. In spite of what we continue to hear about, with you know, I continue to hear stories, especially from the regional airlines, about pilot shortages and this, that, or the other, but I think maybe some of the worst of the supply chains not... Yeah, we we heard trouble about getting TSA agents. We had trouble uh, getting baggage handlers and mechanics uh, back. And I think probably some of those worst case scenarios are behind us. And with the major airlines, you don't hear about American Airlines or Delta having a tough time finding a whole lot of pilots. It tends to be the more regional ones that are struggling. So in the aggregate, it seems that this has resulted in some price relief when it comes to uh it's, it comes to it's just tickets. been such a roller coaster at one point in mid 2022 prices were up about 25 percent relative to immediately before covid they're now mm. fast forward like a year and a half they're five percent cheaper than they were immediately before covid i would not have guessed that if you'd asked me i would have said well they're higher but the rate of i know the rate of growth is slowed and the in an absolute sense they're they're lower but i would have guessed higher since prior to COVID, that, but that, they're not. They're actually lower. On average, this is the CPI airfare component. Yeah. So this is all flights, yep. domestic, and I think it's everything. Yeah, it's everything. Okay. Um, th- that's actually pretty interesting because that's a good example of the difference between disinflation and deflation. What we've experienced that's actual recently. Deflation. That's actual deflation, right? You, the price level of flights compared to pre-COVID it's cheaper. is cheaper. What we've experienced with aggregate prices is that the pace of increase has slowed down. And there's your inflation lesson of the day for Mark and Mike. Hey, speaking of travel, if you're looking for an incredible vacation filled with sun, fun, and no need for a passport, look no further than the United States Virgin Islands. St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John were voted the number one vacation destination to visit this December, according to U.S. News and World Report. December is the start of dry season on the island, so you can expect perfect temperatures, beautiful beaches, a wide variety of water sports, world-class cuisine, and a vibrant nightlife. From the moment you arrive, you'll fall naturally in rhythm with the heartbeat of the islands. There's no money to exchange, and travel from New England could not be easier. Make your plans now before old man winter comes calling. Head to visitusvi.com, learn about all three islands, and plan the ideal vacation for you and your family. America's Caribbean paradise is waiting for you, so head to visit usvi.com for more information and to reserve your trip today that's visit usvi.com if uh anyone's unfamiliar with the area next to south station there is a i think the only way to describe it is a massive united states postal service facility there um it happens to be open 24 hours a day if i'm not mistaken and so uh on more than one occasion with very late holiday presents going out i've made a trip down to that usps uh to get those things off to their destinations but for years now there have been negotiations about relocating the united states postal service from you know what 30 years ago was just kind of not terribly valuable real estate but today 
it, it literally occupies the space right next to South Station where the majority of trains, uh, both Amtrak and commuter rail, go in and out of in the city of Boston. And that station is pretty much at capacity in terms of new tracks and rails. And so there seems to be some degree of progress in convincing the United States Postal Service that it might be time to get out and find a perhaps less valuable piece of real estate to occupy going forward here, which um, I hesitate to ever say that the MBTA is right about something, but I don't really see any benefit to the United States Postal Service occupying a prime piece of real estate in downtown Boston. I guess that's where I would leave that. I wonder what the price tag is going to be, the ultimate price tag. I see speculation here, but it's a pretty wide range. Yeah, yeah. It's not going yeah. to be cheap, would be my guess. And does Amtrak have the dough? Did Congress have to approve an appropriation? Maybe, an maybe some borrowing by the state of Massachusetts. We'll, we'll have to see. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have a reset for you on inflation, talk about the labor market, and a whole lot more on the financial exchange. Stay tuned. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. 